This is Party Wall Pro, the podcast where surveyors tell you how they first started and how they've grown their business, making it easier for you to get to the top. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Party Wall Pro, the podcast. Um, sorry it took me so long to get back online, but um, we've been very busy with a lot of new customers and also developing a uh, tool for your schedule of conditions. So um, um, that we're going to release in a, in a few months, which is quite exciting. So I'm very excited today because I've got Andrew Schofield with me of uh, Schofield Surveyors. And uh, he's agreed to uh, come on the show um, because um, I guess, yeah, you owed me one, right? So, uh, <laughs> and, um, and so before, before we dig into the questions, because uh, this time it's a little bit different. I, I actually went out to our community of users and our mailing list to ask uh, people to, um, to ask you questions directly. And we had a ton of, of responses, so I'm not going to go through all of them, but uh, we'll try to, to at, least, um, at least talk about the kind of common, common themes that, that, that came um, through. And so, but first of all, Andrew, so how, how did you get to where you are? How did you end up in the party wall and neighborly matters and all that? A uh, bit of a checkered background. Um, not a very nice boy at school. Um, went to sea when I was 16, uh, spent eight years in the Merchant Navy, went everywhere, had a thoroughly good time, met, met lots of people, some of negotiable affection. And um, uh, when I, I um, met a girl, came ashore, uh, bummed around, sold brushes door to door, worked in pubs, was a security guard. And then one day uh, I walked past the estate agents where I recently bought this flat and I had a young barrister sleeping on the floor to help pay the rent and everything. And I walked in to get a job and like boys for the black stuff, if any of you uh, remember that series. And they looked at me and goes, yeah, all right. So I started off as a estate agent, did about uh, 12 months of that, and then decided I want to be an auctioneer. How do you be an auctioneer? Got to be a chart surveyor. Um, didn't know any of this, of course. Yeah. And I met the uh, an awesome building surveyor by the name of Mike Rutherford, who's, who's just brilliant. And he learnt with him, went on to Britain Hadley partnership. Then um, Conrad Ripblatt, as it was in the day, as a senior. Uh, then I started another practice, uh, which I called a day on after 10 years. Went to Delta Patton, was a partner there for nearly 10 years, I think. And then I thought, Swan Song, want to try and regain a bit of high ground. Uh, I felt that film surveying generally, the standards dropped. Uh, mainly, I think, the RICS, since the labor reforms have changed a lot. And I wanted to start something that's a bit different. I also wanted a different structure to a practice, um, rather than having, I don't, I believe it very much employee-owned, you see. So everything, you know, the idea is that everybody has a vested interest in the business. Uh, and uh, it's a very transparent organization as much as the people ask a question about, for example, what I earn, I answer it. And there's no hidden secrets about this. And we've got a business plan to build it up to a certain size uh, and, and structure it for longevity. And it's not for me to practice, really. I've already made the decision. Uh, when I'm 65, I resign as director. And that be they can keep me on as a consultant if they haven't, haven't if they're not heartily sick of me by then. Mm-hmm. And that's basically it. It's a bit of a swan song, trying to get a higher ground, a bit more moral, a bit more, uh, as I say, try and get back to the to the genuine core interests of construction and the inquiring mind that that requires. Mm. And so, what's the yeah? So, what's the grand plan? Because um, I've seen you've you've managed to um, to poach some uh, young talents. Poach. Poach! <laughs> and, oh, I'm so hurt by that. These people have come, come to me. We worship at your feet. You know, no, no, they are. Um, I'm, I'm really lucky, actually. I've got, uh, uh, I think, the finest surveyors available, really, uh, and who are 
great. They are, they are awesome. I mean, they're, they're low better than I am. Um, everything with, with obviously Jack is, is, is a tour de force. He's now a mediator. There's everything that goes with it. Uh, um, and Stuart uh, Cobbold, who, who's background writer of light, and this sort of thing. Who I, I work with them all at Double Patton. Byron, of course, Foster's trained architect. He's going to double qualify as surveyor too. It's, you know, it's extraordinary. We are, we are producing some really, really good stuff. You know, um, and you know, we're not the cheapest, not by a long way, but um, we're trying to get the quality back, not just pilot high and sell it cheap. Yeah, yeah, and and so I guess ninety five percent of your of your work is commercial. You, um... No, I wouldn't think it was actually. No, I, I don't. I haven't got the breakdown in front of me. I think you'd say, um, well, when you say commercial, you mean commercial client or commercial property? Commercial client. <laughs> commercial client. No, not, not in terms of in terms of fees. I would say. Uh, 50, 60% is for what I would describe as commercial client, yeah. Um, big residential development, of course, falls into commercial client. But then we, we do a lot of high-end resi stuff as well. Um, it tends to be mostly where it's gone wrong um, or, or where the owner is nervous and rich and uh, wants, wants a certain, certain thing. You know, that, That's what it tends to be. Surprisingly... It isn't all adjoining own, not by a long way. I would say, in fact, a good 40, well, even 50% of our work is building owner. And normally, when you have a practice that's more expensive, um, you don't tend to get that. You, they tend to give you more adjoining owner work because, of course, they, they're under the mistaken belief that the other side will always pay the fees. Um, so, but not, not with us. We get parachuted in a lot. We get, we're very fortunate, people have been extremely kind to us as well, other surveyors, and we get recommended a great deal, which is mighty handy, because one of the ethos behind the practice is very much that we really only work on recommendation for existing clients. We don't do any advertising. You mentioned yourself, you don't find much about me on, on the internet, and there's a reason for that. It keep, keep it below the radar. Yeah, yeah. That's quite interesting. So what's the sweet spot then for a practice like yours? Is it high-end residential? Is it big commercial developments? I think probably, curiously enough, I suppose the sweet spot is the relationship with the legal profession. Uh, we, because, you know, the sort of people we're talking about, they nearly always have lawyers. They, well, they all have lawyers, no question of it. And those lawyers want, uh, will feel like if they're recommending practice or bring something forward, which is a lot, Somebody they can rely on that's going to give the kind of quality of service they think their client's going to need. Uh, so I would say that, yeah, we have a good working relationship with lawyers. You know? All right. Well, well done. <laughs> Not always easy. Hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so let, let's, let's, get, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's get into the, the, the meter thing. So I, I, I sent an email around to, um, to our community and to um, to a mailing list, people that follow follow us, and um, asking them to ask you questions. And you obviously you're used to that because you, you do speak a lot at PNT events and, and other places. Um, and one of the main thing that came up was the you need a notice for the act to apply and how to invoke the act. So I'm just. Mm read out the, the, the first one. Can the party wall act be invoked on a dispute between neighbours if the relevant notice has not been served and the works are progressing? In more general terms, does someone need to serve a notice to invoke the act? So you've got certain views on that. Please. Yeah, it, it, this is one of these odd ones actually where I get the impression that surveyors are fairly united on this, not, not entirely, but reasonably, and lawyers are fairly united, but an opposing, an opposing point of view, which is not usual, normally you, know, you get a fair spread. Um, I recently had a, a quite a long exchange, I, I pulled this off actually from, from my system so I could refer to it, uh, because um, two, two lawyers, uh, both highly experienced in this, this field, in fact three of them, 
uh, Matthew Hearson, and Richard Weber and Nick Isaac were basically talking about this. And it, I think it came off the back of the talk that Alice and I gave um, in central London about a year ago. Um, and he, he fundamentally disagreed with us. Because both Alistair and I agree that you that the the uh, operation of the act is a process, and you can't dive in and out of it. Really, you should you should the act follows a set process. Now he disagrees completely, and, and Nick Isaac sort of swayed between the two, but eventually came up with this thing. That, um, I think the thought was that under section two ten that. Um, uh, he thought that, that it said you, it, it, a, a dispute could be deemed to have arisen. It was this idea, this word deemed, meant that you didn't need a notice. It didn't need to follow any particular event. Um, and I gave this a lot of thought, and I uh, came up with basically the, 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 the theory that Section 5, Makes it follows a direct procedure. Uh, if you, I don't know if you want to turn to that, okay, because it it it, um, it makes specific reference to notice being served before disputes can arise, okay. Mm -hmm. And I I thought that this made it the dispute dependent on dissent or deemed dissent having arisen following the service of a notice. Now, okay. procedure so was notice to three or section six, okay, there, followed by dissent or deemed dissent, followed by dispute, okay, followed by appointment. So, in other words, it followed the act, it went notices one, three, and six, then the procedure under section five, followed by the appointment under section 10. Mm -hmm. Now, I felt that it was wrong to just pull section 10 out on its own and just disregard the rest of the act. It's meant to be read more or less in a sequence. Yeah. Okay. As I said, I um, the, the, the lawyers I just mentioned don't agree. They think you can just look at section 10, use that word deemed dissent and pull it straight out. And is that because of the spirit of the act? In a hall, yeah, it's because they're lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it's for. I, I, yeah. Then the argument of, of owners would be, well, then I, I'm not, I'm not going to serve any notice, then. right? Yeah, I think that's probably right because they don't need to. Hmm. And of course, I, 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 only Banjo versus Pearson is the is is the case which which governs a circumstance where a building owner had served a notice, it had been consented to, okay, um, the, the adjoining owner then said, right, well, your works have caused damage. The building owner basically said, well, tough, you've, you've deprived yourself of using the act. It's now a common law matter. You will have to sue me for damages. Yeah. And uh, Sarah Burr and the other surveyors involved in that quite rightly said no. And they followed the procedure under the Act. I think, I can't quite remember the circumstances now, but I think she tenfolded forward an appointment for the building owner. They made an award for compensation, which was appealed, and it was held that no, they'd acted correctly and the, the award was correct. But that stemmed the Senate. It's very important to understand that, that a notice had been served in that circumstance. So the Act had been invoked. In other words, we've done the, the first stage of that, that process I just talked about. Yeah, it's been served. It's been responded to, albeit to be consent. You see, but mm -hmm. it's held. Um, so, my own personal view on that is, I believe that you have to have served notice. Now, uh, the next question is, at what stage can notice be served? Well, it has to be served prior to the works being undertaken because it's about the timing and the manner. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. So. An adjoining owner discovers that someone has been starting works, no notice. He comes back from a three-week holiday and he sees that the neighbour has started. What, what does he do then? You mean he started work without serving notice, yeah. just steamed it? 
Well, he, he basically, you know, as well as I did, the way to do that is you seek an undertaking from the owner to cease works immediately, and then any remaining elements can be dealt with under the Act, any remaining notifiable works can be dealt with under the Act. Um, and if he doesn't do that, you take out an injunction. Now, I'm not for a minute saying that's very fair. Mm. I'm saying it puts a tremendous cost burden and, and risk burden on the innocent adjoining owner. But that's not our problem as surveyors. We are not, we, we don't write the law. We have lords for doing that. Um, and if that's what they see is the, is, is the way that these things should be done, then I'm afraid we're stuck with it. But that's the way it has to be done. Yeah. It, you know, um, that's all you can do. But there again, that's the same for every part of civil law, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, it is a bit, it's true. It's, um, it, it is, as an adjoining owner, I would feel, if my surveyor would come to me and say, well, actually, yeah, what you have to do is, is um, go for an injunction. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's, it's going to cost me a lot. Um, yeah. and, <clears throat> and, and coming from a building owner, I thought, well, You'll have a lot of building owners that would just say, you know, with this approach, I'm not going to serve serve a notice. And then, um, yeah, yeah, which well, it's 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 the, it's a whole problem. I, I, I don't get me wrong, Philip. I, I completely I completely agree with you. Uh, the the times when I have been involved, where an adjoining owner has decided, no, I'm not having this, and has basically gone for the the building owner who has ignored the. Uh, the act have have always ended up with the adjoining owner getting that right hiding, um, you know, and I'm I'm talking about far in excess of any damage that the adjoining owner may have suffered. Certainly in terms of costs, uh, I, I've found that in my experience, the courts are pretty pretty robust about this, mm -hmm. and I've I've. I know that solicitors are quite rightly are cautious when it comes to the matter of injunctions, and they put their, um, their clients on good notice of the risks that run with it, of cost undertakings and costs, and all the other bits and pieces that go with it. Not to mention the initial cost, which is anything up to well between five and ten thousand pounds usually. Not to mention that you know anything that might might accrue just to go to trial. But uh, on, the, on the few that I have had, the undertaking has nearly always been enough. You don't have to go further than that. A couple of them have gone to injunction. And I have, uh, as I said, in those circumstances, the adjoining owner, you know, properly advised, has come out of it pretty well. Wouldn't necessarily say scot free, it's probably still cost them something. In fact, that brings us on to a. a an interesting question that you're going to ask me later on, which I'm going to go back to when you, when you get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, before we yeah, so before we get there, so so someone else asked. So okay, building owner did not serve, works are completed, and damage was caused to the the adjoining owner's property. So what is the correct course of action for the adjoining owner to get their property repaired? Action in damage is under common law. Again, yeah, exactly. So so. Sorry. So yeah, this is this is the um, the frustrating part for an adjoining owner in that situation is yeah, yeah you're going to have to pay pay up your you know solicitor's fees and all that to um, to go and try to get damages. Which yes. yeah, so it's so but it, it's so it's exactly the same vein is if you not if you don't serve notice then the act won't apply and so the adjoining owner cannot actually benefit from any protection in under the act, right? So yeah. uh, the, the act, the act does, from that point of view, lack teeth. Mm. Um, it, 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 it. On the other hand, am I entirely sympathetic to an adjoining owner who doesn't take any notice? So let, you mentioned the, the, the bloke who goes on holiday for three weeks. Yes, we all hear this story, okay? But really, it doesn't happen that often. Mm. Most, you know, it, it's mostly people who are you say, reluctant to spend the money, that's the first thing, or um, absentee landlords who don't really keep in contact. That's what it mostly affects. If you are halfway responsible, uh, you will get an, almost certainly get a notification from the planning office if the scheme requires planning permission. You will see the builder turn up on site. 
You've only got to ask the questions. You know, please give me an undertaking. You're not doing any work standard fire under the Act. Please, you know, give me the assurance. Can I see your drawing? Hmm. Talk to your neighbour. So I'm not... I'm a bit ambivalent about this as to whether the act should be beefed up or not. Because I do think that people have a responsibility to, to protect their own interests and not just rely on other people to go out and punish punish their neighbours. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, yeah, I get it. I get it. It's true. It's true. Because yeah, after all it's an enabling act, right? So so That's right. Um Okay. Any, 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 anything else you want to add to that before we move on? Do you want to move on to the compensation to section 7.2? Yeah. This was a great question. But incidentally, by the way, everybody, the questions you've asked me are really good. And I've spent quite a lot of time sort of going back through my records to have a look at this. That, that last one you just asked me, as I said, there's, I have got an exchange of emails, pages about that issue, about what we just talked about, whether you need to serve a notice or not. And as I said, there was a two-hour talk on it too. Right, let's go on to this idea of, of compensation under 7.2. Right, um, I think... So the question was, do you want, do you want me yeah, to just go... Yeah, to, yeah please do, yeah. For, for full disclosure, um, I did send um, Andy the questions beforehand because I didn't want him to just show up and then be cornered. Um, so it's also because it adds, adds value. Um, so the question was... How far can Section 7.2 be pushed, um, or how powerful is it? Can 7.2 cover AO rental losses from BO scaffolding being on the adjoining owner's land, for example, subject to Section 8 being followed to the letter, of course? So how far can you, can you push it? Um, how greedy can you be as an, as an AO? Well, the example you gave me is, is the answer is categorically, yes, it can. If the... Uh, joining owner suffers a loss um, as a consequence of access under Section 8 directly related to um, the exercise of a conferred right. Well then, yeah, absolutely. The, the big problem you get is quite often that loss is very, very small. Um, I had a case in Carlisle Square in Chelsea, which is just so expensive. And um, the garment at the back is beautiful... Uh, Georgian townhouse thing was about the size of a postage stamp and the next door uh, needed to scan it was all beautifully laid out with a water feature at the back and everything but it was it was very small the next door needed to erect scaffold which would went, went right up and this scaffold filled the yard area filled it to the extent you couldn't actually even open the doors from the basement to get into the yard area there was, there was a standard right outside it and uh, it you know, the, the, the building owner was very apologetic. He wasn't, he wasn't doing it deliberately. He'd done an absolute minimum to do it. he cut down the time and all the rest of it. There's no doubt about it. It trashed the garden completely. Um, and I looked at this and I said, well, you, it, you, you can have compensation for this as far as I'm concerned because you are being deprived of the use of your garden throughout the summer because it needed up there for a few months. So the question then rose is how do you value that? Now, I'm, you know, one of my big strengths is dilapidations. So I'm very conscious of the, of the rules covering damage to reversion. And I think there has to be a, a demonstrable loss to have a damage. Something you can, you can actually put, put your hat on. Mm. So I phoned around the local estate agent and said, right, if I have this house, beautiful house, blah, blah, blah. And uh, how much would it be worth with a garden? How much would it be worth without? It's about £25 a week difference. This is Carlisle Square, it's the middle of Chelsea. It was, it was ridiculously small. It bore no uh, resemblance whatsoever to the loss to the owners of not being able to use their rear yard area. So this left me in a dilemma, and I spoke to the other side, the surveyor, and we agreed that we could use that as a starting point, but then we could enhance it by saying that it was, there was a, a, the circumstances where it was their home, it wasn't rented, it had, come, it had been forced upon them, not, whereas a rental person would have had a choice, you see. Mm -hmm. So I was able to, I felt, justify an uplift. And we agreed it, all amicably, it went on. So that, that going back to your question, I think it can be stretched to that, where you can show the loss is directly relates to the exercise of a conferred right. So that's no problem. Hmm. Which brings me back to this other thing that I was quite interested in. Whether, we, we talked about the injunction. So along comes the building owner, 
starts doing notifiable works without having served notice. The adjoining owner takes out an injunction. The court order is that uh, parties will appoint surveyors and resolve matters through award. So they, the remaining matters, notices served, appoint surveyors appointed, and so on and so forth. Now, do you think in the circumstances like that, that it, with the surveyors could award any shortfall in the costs incurred by the adjoining owner as any loss. Mm -hmm. Right? Bearing in mind, it's absolutely in the exercise of conferred right because it's the failure to serve the notice required by the Act. Um, I'm quite sure the lawyers would say absolutely not. Uh, but it's, it's an interesting idea and certainly one that I would be prepared to entertain. I, I would say, well, I, I, I as, as a bearer of very little brain, I think that that's worth considering. You know, he's put down, he's, he's been forced in this position by the actions of a third party to exercising a conferred right, okay, who um, failed to follow the act. He's spent £10,000, he's got £7,500 back, okay, but he's got a £2,500 shortfall. That is any loss or damage. Can't rule it out anyway. No. I don't know. You, you, I, I'm sure lawyers who, if, if you know, I'm sure a lawyer will, will come back to me, explain to me in gruesome detail why I'm wrong. But <laughs> I like it. But you've never actually. I'm going to carry on. You've, Sorry, yeah, you, on. you've never put that to the test, have you? <clears throat> I think I may have done once. <laughs> actually, yes. I think I did award the joint hundred thousand pounds for that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But by that time, they. Uh, the building owner was so battered by the entire process. I think they just paid up without demur. But I think I was probably morally right and possibly technically wrong, and I, and I do accept that. But I think that that is the strength of surveyors: be surveyors first and lawyers second. You know, that yeah. too high band by that. Try and do what's right under the act. So, and, and actually, in, in terms of compensation, what was the kind of the crazy stuff that that you had to deal with in terms of adjoining owners asking for? X amount, just as I don't get that much. No, no, I ducked that particular one. Well, I imagine the one you're talking about is, is the Russian one in Belgravia, which my colleague Mr. Redler did, along with just about every other surveyor in London. I think they're on their 13th award now or something. <laughs> you, anyway, I, I can't, I don't, I don't, if I'm acting for a, if I'm appointed by an adjoining owner, I think one of the big things. In the, Something I emphasise in my talks is that is managing expectation, making sure that they understand that, and I won't get beaten up. I don't take instructions, and I won't do that. So, uh, and there are certain surveyors who are more perhaps interpret the act in a different way, and are perhaps more uh, partisan. And uh, but I'm not one of them, so I don't get that. If as a building owner, I uh, again. I've, I've not faced that, mainly because I think possibly I'm a bit more robust. Mm. I don't, don't let myself get uh, people make these sort of claims. Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually a, a good good way to get to the, the other question of... Actually, can, can we go back? Because I, uh, um, I'm sorry if I'm going on too long. Feel free to edit me no, out. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. But one of the things that was asked, I'm, I'm going to go back. As I said, I, I looked through my papers to find out about these sort of things. A few years ago, as third surveyor, I was approached by an adjoining owner. Not common. Uh, more common, no, but well, still pretty, very rare to be approached directly by the owner. Um, because uh, their appointed surveyor, uh, the, the appointed surveyors, really were refusing to deal with the matter. And so he, he, via their solicitor, came to me and referred it to me as a matter of dispute. Uh, and it really was an absolute poison chalice. But basically, the, the referral was, um, if I can remember, here we go, whether as a matter of principle, the raising of a party wall, which would result in diminishing the light into and the view from a window, can be described as a loss within the meaning of the provisions of 7.2 of the party wall, etc., at 1996. Clause <laughs> seven two yeah. the building shall compensate any adjoining owner and any adjoining occupier for any loss or damage which may result to any of them by reason of any work executed pursuant to this act. 
Right, now I should point out that the, the, uh, the loss of light uh, was not sufficient to uh, pursue a right of light uh, claim. It was, a, it was a relatively modest loss. I think the main problem was here was that they, they had a sort of an office on the half landing with a window that gave them a nice look over everybody else's gardens and they, that was going to go down. Right, well I, you know, any loss of damage, well it is any loss, but I concluded, um, I, I thought as a matter of principle, the diminution of light and the view arising from the raising of a party wall cannot be described as a loss within the meaning of Clause 7 of the Act. That's what I decided. Uh, and the reasons were, in, in respect to this, was the view in the context of the Act, of course, it's my opinion that since there's no legal right to a view, there can be no loss. Right? Um, and I felt, I went on to say, the Act does not create categories of loss that, all, that are not already available in common law. Right? Now, that's... Uh, I, I'm, this, this is my opinion, I'm, and I'm quite sure there, there, for every lawyer there will be another opinion, but that was mine. I felt that, that, was, that, that this would be an abuse. And again, it came to light, um, and I said that it is possible for the adjoining owner to have a right of light as an easement, and therefore an injury to this obtained by the undertaking of the building owners notifiable works would be considered a loss. However, Clause 9A of the Act states nothing in the Act shall authorise any interference with an easement of light or other assessed easements in or relating to a party wall. And that being the case, if it was deemed that the building owner's works notified of the provisions of the Act could result in such interference, then the award concerned them would be ultra vires. So it wouldn't be uh, mm -hmm. lost of that. So, and if the reward is ultra vires, the matter of the loss of damage could not be considered under the provisions of Clause 7.2 because the act, the award wouldn't be viable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it? That's what I was getting to. Um, so I think my advice to practitioners would be, when considering any loss of damage, to make sure it does relate to the, conferred, the exercise of the conferred right and not tripping over some other part of law. As I said, I think this is a, this is a rather devious attempt to try and drag make something that was the Act was never supposed to consider just because the Act is, is rather loosely worded. Yeah. My, my award was not appealed, by the way. And, and by the way, I should point out, I felt it was one of those third surveillance awards that it didn't really matter what decision I made. It was going to be appealed because it was one of those, you know, mm. one of them was always going to be pissed off. Yeah. But I'm happy you can edit that bit out as well. Because <laughs> so, as it happened, they didn't. It's it's true. If you if you weren't taking this approach, you could you could end up in a situation where, in that office, for example, if it had been, you know, one of those artists that needs, that needs, and can demonstrate that uh, as a consequence, the quality of his art has 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 diminished yeah. and quantify a loss. <laughs> there's been a case about that, hasn't there? I think, I think there was a case about how important North Light was to a particular artist. Oh really? Yeah, oh, right. Uh, well, I can't remember what it was now. But there you go. <laughs> well, um, that's um, that's a good one. Thank, thanks for that. So, so let's um, um, get to another question. The someone was asking, what is the best course of action to take where the adjoining owners are reluctant to dispute, as they do not want to cause trouble and extra cost. However, they're uncomfortable with the works. So it's kind of a what? It's the fine tuning of your how you stir an adjoining owner into what direction. Um, any views on that? Yeah, brutal. Um, you can't have it both ways. And this again is the, the surveyor's skill to, to manage expectation. Well, if you are, you don't want to upset your neighbor or whatever, whatever it is, consent. If the act has been evoked, and if problem arises again in the future, you can use the Act to determine it. You may be able to use the Act to determine it. But if you're concerned about the works, then dissent. It's just as simple as that. Those are your choices. You can't, well, I sort of, well, I, you can give conditional consent. Okay, but unless that condition is very gentle, for example, I, I, I quite often recommend to people, why don't you just consent? I mean, if I were you, I'd write back, consenting, subject to the preparation of scheduled condition, no. because that just protects both of you, all right? Or you might want to say, all right, uh, subject to be providing details of how you're going to come in my garden to build the wall, 
whatever it might be. Yeah, you know? I was going to ask actually the conditions. What what kind of condition precedents are are there to to, to granting consent? I schedule a condition. That's that's, hmm. that's one of them, and it's it's more and more common, isn't it? Oh, I'd like to think so. <clears throat> I, I, I certainly, you know, on, on the the you know, I get a lot of phone calls from a lot of people, and I, I do recommend this a lot. You know, I say, well, let's go through the work set. Let's have a chat about it. What are they planning to do? They're doing this, doing that. Okay, let me have a look at the drawing. So I have a look at the drawing. So well, look, you know, it's only that. Hmm. You know, just, just if I were you, I'd consent. You've got to live next door to these people. Remember, you know, it's it, it's no point if you if you've just uh, you know dissented from their cutting a pocket to put a steel beam in um, uh, at a princely cost of you know. 1200 quid or whatever for the joining owner's surveyor's fee or even agreed surveyor's fees, uh, they're probably going to be, they're not going to be your best friends anymore. You know, let's put it that way. And really, was it necessary? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you, and, and that was actually my thought because I'm an, currently an adjoining owner. In, um, oh, you're one of them, are you? Yeah. Um, is, is to actually consent subject to me having a say in who they're actually using. Bill just hang on one second, can you pause? Sorry, thanks. I've just been delivered a cup of coffee. Thanks, darling. That's my wife, by the way. I don't call my sexy darling. So I'm just gonna have a sip, I'm just have a sip of this. I've been talking a long time. <laughs> still, I'm still running. Um, still oh, oh, yeah, thanks very much. Yes. Right, we'll cut that. Okay, uh, sorry. Um, Sorry, you were saying. So yeah, so um, having so consenting subject to me, the adjoining owner, having a say in who they're going to use as builders. Have you seen that? I haven't, but I don't see any reason why you can't. You can put any condition you like. Yeah, no. Um, because it's obviously the damage is going to be caused by builders that. Um. um I, I Philip, just just a sort of. How are you going to know if the bill is any good or not? Yeah. I don't mean that as an insulting way. I just mean it genuinely. How do you know? Um, half the time, we don't. And we do contract work here. Um, and, and we do a lot to, to test the builder out. Uh, we go and look at their past projects. We, you know, when they're submitting their tenders, they have to give us certain information. Uh, quite often, we ask for testimonials. And, and that sort of thing goes on. I mean, builders, like any other business, can change overnight because it's so often it's about the individuals involved. And if you're looking at a modest domestic scheme, you're either going to have the chap who's been doing it, who's always done it, in which case you're probably fine, or you're going to find that his particular, uh, the, the one he's particularly relied on has gone back to, to Eastern Europe for holiday and somebody else is involved. So you don't really, it's, it's very limited value, that. Mm -hmm. I would always say, probably don't get too involved. It's your neighbour doing the work. So you don't want that excuse, well, you told me who the builder was. You don't, you don't want to give them that kind of get out of jail. You want to um, look at the works, all right, uh, or get me to look at them if you want to. And let's make a value judgment and just see what the impact is on you. What is it like to be? What sort of things are concerned for you? Right, things like working hours, for example. Well, local authorities govern that. And I can only, you know, a surveyor can only dictate the working hours with respect to the notifiable works, not the whole project anyway. So there's very little point getting too artsy about that. Mm -hmm. um, if it's excavations within six metres um, uh, and it's perpendicular to, to, to your property, to your nearest foundation, well, it's only those few foundations in, that are running out that are, that are of any risk to you. So they're probably only going to be a metre wide. So you'll bridge over that without any problem. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, obviously, if you've got, I don't know your house, but if you had a rear addition that stuck out and it was excavating parallel to it, that's a different matter. That, that you've got to be a lot more careful about. So my advice would always be do a value judgment on the works and, yeah. and keep the conditions reasonable. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. That's a freebie for you. More, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, on the, the, more, the more fun ones... Drones. I thought. I thought it was it. Yes. Yeah, I did. I did some investigation on this. I went and found out. I we did quite a lot of drone surveys. Um, 
All right. So, so the question was, is sending a drone over someone's property a trespass? And if so, what can be done? Apparently not. Um, right. It's not a trespass because um, you you can... Uh, well, it's just not. It's, that, it's something to do with air traffic or something. Right. right. You have to have... You cannot uh, go over anything within 50 metres, which is not under your control. Okay? So, in other words, what you're... You're over, you have to be in control of. So if I've instructed you to do a drone survey of this building, uh, you can do that, and I think you can go over within 50 metres of it. But you can't go, but that, that has to be in your control. I may have got this wrong, by the way, so do check it out. <laughs> you know, I've got to get this. And you can also, you now... Control of what? Sorry, so you're saying this is a safety measure, by the way. It's nothing to do with trespass, um, except for takeoff and landing, where that reduces to thirty meters. Okay. Now uh, you can, you can get uh, this is that this is this is a, what's applicable to a standard commercially available drone. Okay, you can be licensed uh, to do uh, more uh, more intrusive surveys by the CAA but it's subject to what's called an operational safety case. So that's the health and safety bit of it. The privacy aspect is actually, I believe, your field, data protection. Yeah. So um, my, my pilot, that's <laughs> every grandfather, my techie, okay, he, his solution is to be very clear about this. He takes off and lands with the camera switched off. So he actually only, so he, he takes off, goes over the top of the building I wanted to survey, camera on, surveys it, switches off, comes back and lands. So that he's, he's only looking at the bit that I've I, that I authorised him to look at, and my client has. Um, it's also, firstly, you should always pre-notify. That was the other thing. So if you've got, I've got one in, in um, Kingston at the moment, where uh, it's a fight between landlord and tenants, and I will pre-notify the tenants of the landlord's intention. Okay, and and it will just be simply like this is when it's going to be. This is why we're doing it. Um, and I would say about switching the camera on and off and this sort of thing. Um, however, during this period, if you have any concerns, can I please can you please close your curtains? Mm. Okay, because you know you know what it's like. It's not that we'd ever do. I mean, without anything any interest, um, you are not allowed to show anything that would allow identity of the individual concerned. So if you fly over somebody, you can't, do, you can't show their face or anything, um, including such things as cars, for example. And if, you, if there are any doubts in somebody, you should be prepared to show the images of what you've taken to the person concerned before you leave the site. Okay. Yeah. And you, you, would, you would anonymize anything that has actually ended up on your film by mistake, right? If, if yeah, well, I'll, I'll think, I think mistake would be... Obviously, I think cock-ups happen. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, that, that's, that's the general guidance. And my, the chap who does it for me is, he's ex-diplomatic um, um, police protection. So he, he, it's very useful for me because I had to do some big surveys in some of the embassies down in Holland Park. And um, I need to do flyovers there. And, of course, it's actually surrounded by embassies. And we, used, we were able to get the consents to do it. He, I'm very lucky. I think he was probably about the only bloke who would have managed it. Wow. Because ah, we had good contact. Yeah. So the trespass point is no trespass? No, no I don't think it's trespass. Okay. No. But I said, not really about party wall, that. So I know I do, I know I do boundaries, but it's not. It's I don't think it is. One. I, think, I think you get a, you get a, it's something to do with exemption or something that air traffic get or something. Anyway, there you go. Yeah, yeah, but I guess it, it depends on that, at the height of the, the airspace between, between the building and... Uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I don't yeah, know. yeah. Good question. Stick the party wall, eh? Got a <laughs> chance then. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Nearly time to go. So, so the, the oh, last. Sorry. So someone asked the question about the faculty. So I thought that's brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. It was and again, I, I gave this one a lot of thought. Your your views on what added value the faculty of party wall surveyors has brought to the professional and. Uh, process. 
So I guess you as a member of the PNC club, are you a member of the faculty or not? I'm not. Um, I think I should sort of qualify this firstly. There's a big misunderstanding about PNT. The PNT is a club and a learning society. It's there to encourage the pursuit of excellence in the administration of the Act. That's it. Doesn't it, it, it doesn't have formal complaints, doesn't have disciplinary. We have a protocol we expect people to adhere to, and if they don't, we what happens is we just don't renew their membership. But it is educational. The faculty is a trade organisation. It's as simple as that. It, it basically uh, has members practising in a certain field. Uh, I believe, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not a member, so I don't exactly know, but I presume it has complaints and uh, disciplinary procedures that are set out. And, of course, its prime role is to promote its members. So that being a member of the faculty will give you a commercial advantage. And I think, in truth... Um, Certainly outside London, it probably does. Um, uh, you know, I, I have personal views about the, the uh, perceived value versus the actual value of membership. But I think that a lot of people do put weight uh, about being able to display membership in organisations against their name as uh, displaying a certain amount of competence and governance. Um, in terms of actually improving the administration of the Act, I think the answer is probably not. And I don't mean that necessarily in a negative way, because I think the actual individual members probably have benefited. But by doing it, they have um, a lot more people are involved, and I think that they are Whereas previously, it, it, perhaps the act would have been administered by, shall I say, people with a better knowledge of construction um, than they are now. Because, of course, the term surveyor is not defined in the act. I think there are certain things the faculty do really well, really, really well. I think um, where their individual members organise the forums, I think they've been done very well. On the whole, I've enjoyed speaking at them uh, when I've been invited. Um, and they, it's lively discussion. I think, as I say, in terms of advancing knowledge and um, improving the, the, the performance of practitioners administering the Act, I am less convinced that they have done quite so much. I think the, the, the P&T Club needs some standing for that point of view. No, okay. So maybe I'll have to have someone from the faculty come in there. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll say. Defend. I don't, don't, as I said, I should, I mean, it, it, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of source, you know, jibing that goes on between the two organisations from time to time, which is washed off the duck's back, really. I don't, I, I mean, people have a go at me all the time, but um, I, I don't think it's, so they are different. One is a trade organisation and we're not. So I think, to, to, to muddy the waters and say there's a rivalry between us on that basis is, is misleading because we're not we do different things yeah 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 no it's true I don't personally see the need to be a member I'm a fellow of the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors building surveyor I don't see the need to to say anything else in fact I would go as far as to say I'm not a part of the Royal Surveyor never have been never will be you know I'm a Chartered Building Surveyor mm. and I have all the necessary skills to do that and a lot more yeah, well, that's um, that's a good um, good thing to um, to finish on. So, anything else you would like to add? Any any other? Uh, this? Um, no, it's been great. I thoroughly enjoyed doing it. Thank you very much for your time. It's a yeah, great question. Thank you. I've got a whole um, a whole list. So, I yeah, one of the questions I I, I always ask is who who should I invite um, to come for an interview next. I have. I actually interviewed Sarah a long time ago, but the quality of the video was so poor that I have to do it again. So you, <laughs> okay. uh, in your case, so, um, so I've got to get in touch with her again. Um, who else? Right. You need to make. You don't just want people. I'll, I'll get 
pontificating like I've been doing. I think you need something that's a bit more, you know, uh, see the other side of the coin, you know, perhaps from other people who feel differently. Perhaps you want to try um, people who are very um, notorious, perhaps might be the answer. Might be interesting. I don't know. Who? Sorry, you 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 cut. I was going to suggest you might want to select a surveyor or somebody who's rather notorious. Mm -hmm. Get their point of view. Um, uh, I mean, one, one surveyor I, I I had to who I had to be involved in a. a, a I said we don't have disciplinary procedures, but in a disciplinary matter within the PNT club. You know, he, he accepted. The criticism that was levied at him, and he said, "Look, you know, I, I accept it and all the rest of it. The trouble is that people who come to me come to me because they know that I am that kind of person. That I am going to be the kind of person who makes trouble if I can. And that's why they come to me. I think I know he talked and I kind of got that too because <coughs> he, um, what he did was he, he didn't do anything wrong. He was just." Um, very unhelpful. For example, he would deliberately not consent, he would deliberately withhold consent to special foundation, delay and delay and delay, prevaricate, prevaricate, prevaricate always giving the indication, oh yeah, he'll give the, he'll give the consent, he'll give the consent. And then right at the death, he'd turn around and go, no, no consent. Oh, we can give you consent, it's going to cost you 50 grand. You know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Which, okay, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big believer, I always tell people, don't ever rely on it. Don't do that. If they haven't, if they're not just said yes, work on the basis they're going to say no. You know, you are better. So really, however much you, you, you like it or not, the the building owner's surveyor was wrong, not the adjoining owner. So the adjoining owner's surveyor didn't do anything wrong. He just played the act. You know, and anybody who says we should apply the act to a non-partisan manager, come on, you're appointed by an owner to apply. You're not there to educate the other side. If if the if an adjoining owner doesn't ask for section 1111, it is certainly not appropriate for the building owner surveyor to, to um, suggest it to him. That's not the job at all. You're there to determine disputes, not to not to make them. Mm -hmm. So I think in so perhaps somebody like that might be interesting to talk to. Other, I mean, surveyors who I have a huge amount of respect for and don't and they don't agree with me on lots of things. Uh, Stuart Birrell, Jerry Poole, Michael Kemp, of course, with the education side of the PNT. These are PNT members I've mentioned, uh, who are all I would describe as eminent. And, and as I say, we certainly there is not one of the great things that certainly about PNT, and I'm sure we do not agree about everything, not by a long way. I mean, what usually happens is we talk about things and they decide that I was right, and we call it a day. But. Um, <laughs> Okay, perfect. Well, um, I'll reach out to those. Um, also, if you are watching this um, interview, if you would like to um, drop me an email at pw at partywallpro.com, um, you'll see the email at the bottom of the screen. Um, feel free to send me an email with any any you know, suggestions, or if you you want to be interviewed, or if you have any um, any good questions I can put forward to uh, to my next interviewee, that would be really helpful. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. It's it been a pleasure, Philip. Good uh, yeah. having you, and uh, and have a, a good afternoon. Thanks ever so much. Love to talk to you.